Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today, my guest is CJ Cassiata, and he is a writer and communicator. We're going to be having a conversation about his book called Get Weird. Thank you so much, CJ, for coming on my show today. Uh, thanks for having me. I was interested in reading your book, and uh, I am a, a weirdo, so I felt like I would, <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, get, get right into it really easily, really well. And in a way, as I was reading it, I was thinking, is this also a book that you're almost writing to yourself? It seemed as though you were, you were writing it when you, when you first thought of the idea to write it, you were, you were sort of having like a, an epiphanal moment. Maybe you can draw us back to when you first began to conceive of the idea and, and start writing. I've called myself a, a writer for, you know, pretty much my whole life. I've never, this is my first shot at writing, you know, 50,000 words mm. uh, and going through the traditional editing process. And so what was really funny, kind of to your point, is I, I watched the clock kind of go by and the calendar go by between the first edit and the notes back to <laughs> to the second edit and then the third edit. And what was really, really fascinating was being able to go back and re-read my words mm. and go, man, like, CJ from like six months ago had some wisdom, you know, <laughs> like I should be, it was a very weird out of body experience where I was like, man, I really need to listen to, you know, this guy. Cause I'm, you know, whining right now about what, what am I going to do and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But th this guy, you know, this guy, whoever was writing this book, you know, a couple months ago, he seems to, to have some good things to say. So that was very, very strange. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and it's really a book about figuring out where and when, your I love I love the word spark you know your muse and um, or the phrase spark my muse like where and when the muse first hit you um, when that spark first happened and usually it's somewhere in our childhood and figuring out how to live out of that place and from that age and from that vantage point mm. and I would say around the time I started writing the book was around the time I started to kind of step into those scary mm. waters um, and off the shores of, of, you know, same and safety and uh, perpetual grown-up land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I just did a, a solo episode when this airs. It, it will have been a few weeks now, but it, it was about second naivete, which is like the post-adult new stage of wonder that, that can happen where you're childlike but not childish and yes. it has a lot to do with that where you are okay being found reborn into wonder uh, that has a lot to do with this being okay being yourself being weird and you have a really excellent quote that I, I love in your book um, it's it's further in the book and then we can go back more towards the beginning of it again as we discuss but you you say wonder is the child of weirdness in the economy of wonder even a mistake or a disappointment is tinged with admiration and um, I love that that idea or that not just the concept of wonder but the experience of it the tinged with admiration piece is exactly um, what is is part of hope that is mingled in with wonder that that gets us through even when we're not doing that well being a weirdo you know <laughs> uh, maybe you can speak to that a little bit yeah I, I, this is like my favorite part 
of the book to talk about. So it's, I love that we're kind of starting with it. So first of all, when you know we talk about our mistakes being tinged with admiration or tinged with wonder, you know, lots of times we're, we're really quick to call things that that don't go as we hoped mm-hmm. as uh, failures. But you know, I always love the, the the phrase, you know, mad scientist. I feel like a mad scientist most days. But really, what that does, um, or what that is, when we're when we're choosing to quit or choosing to stop or choosing to deem something as a failure and and use that in sort of the negative connotation is, you know, we're, we're being bad scientists. We're just being horrible. <laughs> you know, a, a scientist, one job, they get paid, you know, by foundations and, 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 and colleges and everything to, to get up and to test things and to fail things. So the more they fail, the more they realize that things, you know, aren't the way, um, you know, that they may have hoped is that the, the closer they get to the solution. And so um, by doing something that doesn't work to the vantage point that we wanted it to, and then just stopping. Again, we're we're not we're not mad scientists. Um, we're we're bad scientists, and so I, I want to create less bad scientists and more mad scientists. Mm. Um, the other point that you kind of touched on too is oftentimes we confuse innocence with ignorance. Right? Ignorance is just having access to knowledge and to the truth and kind of sticking our heads in the sand going, nah, we just don't want to hear that. We just, we're going to, we're going to just stay the way we we want things to stay the way things are. Innocence though, is, is this thing that we can constantly go back to. We all remember what innocence was like to a degree. And that's, you know, I call that a sacrament that we can partake in that kids just do naturally. And, and what I love about, the uh the idea of the kingdom and of of innocence and of childlike wonder is really you know this stuff kind of sounds cute when we talk about it but if you look throughout many of the scriptures of the world religions you know specifically i tend to to really like um the 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 biblical scriptures you you see sort of this theme where to understand the kingdom or to arrive at the kingdom um really coincides with being able to think and adopt the posture of a child to to get to that realm of childlike wonder. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's part of it that that childlike part dies off when we become really cynical and skeptical and bittered embittered and bitter (laughs) and um, we let that take root in our heart it seems the people who have the most joy can be incredibly mature and wise and adults but yet have a childlike um, quality to them yeah i mean the reality is bad things happen to us a lot a lot of times they happen to us as kids and so how do we reclaim that original innocence, that original wonder, that original weirdness when we know that in many situations it's been stolen from us? And so to be weird and to partake in the sacrament of innocence and to be a, you know, a, a mad scientist is not to discount or to sort of bury your head in the sand when it comes to the things that have tried to steal your joy away, um, but it's to put them in their place and realize that while they attempt with all that they have 
to possess power over you, there's actually a greater power at force. And that's who you were before the world said that it didn't matter or the world kicked out of you. And that really dovetails in well with what you say in the book about reclaiming the word weird uh, and the sacred weird. You talk about it on page 97. The sacred weird is the representation of our truest selves, something that, while capable of being masked, cannot be taken away. It'd be great if you could a little bit unpack that, because people probably have different names for what you're saying, sacred weird, but it, it really is kind of the encapsulation of, of a large part of your book. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and again, here's me in 2018, <laughs> just trying to put some new skin on stuff that people who are a gazillion times more brilliant than me and well-spoken than me than me have, have, you know, tried to, to put flesh on, uh, for thousands of years. And so you've got the, the ancient mystic, you know, Meister Eckhart who said, you know, there's a place in your soul that's never been wounded. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the reality that when you're a kid, everything is possible. You have this imagination that just runs rampant. And as I was writing this book and really as that more in, in like kind of the podcasting phase of, of starting to go on podcasts and, and talk about the book, I realized, gosh, you know, I really had it great as a kid because, yeah, I was exposed to bullying and, and obviously stuff happens and everybody gets wounded by their parents and stuff. But I'm realizing that there's so many people who are listening to these conversations who go, yeah, well, I was I was abused when I was three or four or I was, mm -hmm. you know, so and so I was abandoned. And um, and I was like, for a moment, I had this really strange revelation or kind of like, oh, oh, my goodness moment, because I went, well does that hold true for them? Can, can everybody remember a moment in their childhood when they were carefree and their imagination ran wild? Mm. And I would say, luckily I had a, <laughs> I had a, a, a workaround for that. Not, a, I think it's actually true. Uh, Cause I forced myself to really think through that. But then I realized, you know what I just had, my wife and I just had an, another baby and we walk around with this baby all the time out in public. And what do people do? They stare at him in wonder, in awe, because there's something about his presence that's just close to the freaking divine, right? I mean, there's just something miraculous about this child, this newborn life. And so I would say to anybody listening, yeah, maybe that is your story. Maybe you can't remember a time where you felt 100% innocent or 100% divine, uh, divinely, you know, pure. Um, but I'm telling you there is, I'm telling you at some point, it might've been when you were three weeks old, doesn't matter. Somebody looked at you with awe. Somebody looked at you with absolute wonder in their eyes and thought, wow, there must be a God. There must be something out there that can create something so unique and so amazing. One of the things you mentioned is is really um it was a really a fascinating point to me because this is batted about um story is batted about as something everybody should have a story and and you should you know this is part <laughs> of your brand and and 
a lot of people equate story with identity or use them synonymously. And you have something interesting in your book. It says, I, I do not believe your story matters as much as you might have been told. Your story is not who you are. It's not even a version. It's merely a presentation and outer fencing. That's that's really interesting to, to tweeze that apart a little bit and talk. What's the difference between story and identity? Does it have something to do with the sacred weird? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of story, but I mean, there are hundreds of books, if not thousands of books on, you know, selling your story. And I think there's, you know, companies called story sales or story brands or something like that. Or there's mm-hmm. there's all of these sort of companies and agencies who are trying to take the sacredness of story and sort of insert it into the marketplace. And in many ways, uh, they're absolutely correct to do that. And it's a, it's, a, it's a tactic that works. However, what I want to be really careful of as we're raising a, a generation of human beings who are digital natives, who know nothing other than Instagram stories and companies and social media platforms who are encouraging us to share our stories, that we are not confusing a story with an identity, meaning we're not telling people that as long as you kind of craft a perfect version of your life online, then that is synonymous with your identity. Your identity, as John O'Donoghue would say, is not synonymous or is not, it does not equate your biography, right? I mean, your identity is something that's installed in you, implanted in you. And if you think about it, story again, stories are great, but really the best story in the entire world, the only thing it really does is illuminate whatever is going on in your soul already, right? You you go and you go to a movie and you come out of the movie like, man, that was the best movie I've ever seen. I can't believe it. Yeah, because they did a really good job of, of pinging, of hitting something that's happening inside of you. They're connecting with who you are or who you're becoming. It didn't write that for you, right? Something else wrote that in you. And so I just want people to understand and to recognize that while stories are important, you can manipulate a story. You can omit parts of the story. You can add parts of the story. What you can't change is the fact that you were created with a sacred uniqueness that will not go away and that is there to remind you that you matter in this universe and other people do too. Mm. Yeah, I've I've also seen people use story in sometimes in authentic ways and sometimes in really almost uh, infamous or attention-seeking ways that feel gimmicky, just to be honest, you know, feel like tr- sure. trendy or something. Um, sometimes they they feel more sincere or authentic than other ways. And so, well, you know, it seems like, well, everybody has a story. And if you do your story well, then that, that will draw people to you. Uh, and it just has to be authentic. It can also be a prison because it's like, well, then you're this person who has either had this happen to them or is this way in the world identifies this way in the world and then it's almost like that's that's it (laughs) that's your gig (laughs) forever you know um and it i wonder if it's it winds up you know you're just building really just a prison for yourself well here's the thing 
we don't need more content creators. We need more content creators. Right? Tell me more. We need creators. <laughs> <laughs> Same word, different enunciation. Mm -hmm. We don't need more content creators. We need more content creators. We need creators who are creating out of the reality that they're loved. They are imaginative. They have everything they need in the universe to bring about something worth sharing, worth delighting us with worth intriguing us, worth provoking us. And if we can have more of those folks, I think you're going to see the digital world and our 3D world that we encounter every day light up mm. in ways that we've never seen before. Mm. That's a lot like what you say on, on page 197, moving from something to prove to something to give. And that is a, a big distinction that... It's sometimes a, a real unconscious move. You you wind up. I have something to say, and I, you know, or I'm credentialed in such and such a, a manner, or I have this skill or special, unique story or something. And there's, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with those things, but you can't wait to get it out there and have people notice. And I hope I have a lot of followers. And and it's really more something to prove. But the whole pivot to something to give. Maybe you can talk about how people can even recognize that and start a shift. Yeah. And, and my wife deserves all the credit for saying that because, and, and honestly, it's been one of the things that have resonated most with, with the book, which is very par for the course. You know, mm. my wife is the brains <laughs> behind this operation. So, but it's something I write on my hand every time I, I give a talk because, you know, I get out there and I go, okay, why in the world would these people listen to me? And, you know, there's a mixture of that with, oh, and by the way, I really hope these people hire me for a gig or, or you know, mm -hmm. buy my book or whatever. So it's, a, it's this very strange combination of um, why in the world would these people listen to what I have to say with, gosh, I really hope they like what I have to yeah, say. Yeah, sure. And so I, I just write that on my hand in, in permanent marker. Every time I go, you because you, you have nothing to prove, but if you believe, if I actually believe these words that I'm created uniquely, I have a unique perspective that nobody else has, and I want people to share in that, then I actually have a gift to bring to people mm -hmm. versus something I'm trying to sell or conjure up or manipulate. And so it takes a lot of the pressure off, huh? Yeah, it's also different than, hey, I am a gift to you people, <laughs> which is, <laughs> right? It's different like, hey, I right. have something to share. I, I can't wait. This is so cool that I get to share this. More like, I am a gift. Boy, I hope I don't screw this up. And, you know, it takes the perfectionist piece out of it, hopefully, and just say, you know, I, I might mess up telling you this, but... The point is the message. It's not that I look perfect to you. Right. Because we just need less of that. I think we need more people to realize that we're all in process. We're all a walking behind the scenes episode. Yeah. Yeah. Of life. And so I remember I have a, um, a friend who does a lot of speaking stuff, and she actually works for this, or she started this organization that 
um, that helps uh, female survivors of, of sex trafficking. And they go around and they, they speak. And so she was she was partnering with one survivor who had never given a talk before. And she was so nervous the whole entire plane ride to the gig and at the hotel at the gig and before the gig. And so when my friend went to introduce her, she just asked that everybody stand up and give a standing ovation before she even talked. And with tears in everybody's eyes, including the woman who was supposed to get up and talk, she gave just this amazing, amazing little keynote. And it just evaporated all of the anxiety and stress in the room because she had already started off with acceptance. Mm. And I wish we could just start all of our conferences and gatherings that way, you know? Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. that's And that's the whole thing when we're talking about the difference between content and content. You know, we're starting from a place of, of wholeness and understanding that, in a sense, fully integrating that sacred weird and, and embracing it and accepting it. That's where that starting point can happen. That's where you could actually give the most because you don't fear that you're going to lose something. You don't fear that you don't have enough or you aren't enough. I think that is a really, I messed this up myself, of course, but I feel like, boy, if I could get that right all the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, the good news is once you write a book, you become instantly really good at all this stuff. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> so yeah, don't even worry about it. It's, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm a pro. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. Well, it's, it's really good to be here on the other side. well tell me a little bit about um how get weird is moving into some new territory yeah um so uh we're starting an organization called ringbeller uh which is really kind of birthed out of the message of the book if you look at the introduction, I'm sitting in a bar and I'm just really bummed out that I'm not doing a lot of the stuff that 10-year-old CJ promised 33-year-old CJ that he would do. And this is my flight or fight attempt <laughs> to, you know, I, I feel, somebody asked me how I was doing the other day, a couple of weeks out from the book launch. And I'm like, well, yeah, I feel like the engine is sort of like, it's like the, the plane is taken off, but I, I'm like, wobbling around like just like trying to stay in the air and stay in a straight line but the the act of 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 trying this new thing called ringbeller which is really part of a vision that I've got for the next you know 15 to 20 years of my life has been a exercise in taking like the point of the book and the, the themes and the, the ideas from the book and putting them into practice in real life for me. Mm. And so we're calling it video lessons that teach kids creativity and kindness. So it's essentially video lessons that we put in schools. Uh, we're targeting K through five students at first that are designed to help kids understand that their weirdness is pre-installed in them to make a difference and that's a really good thing and they can actually use their uniqueness and use their weirdness and use their imagination to help themselves and others around them and there's a lot that's missing in our education system right now when it comes to that specifically 
We've got uh, a really great program in the United States that teaches kids uh, STEM, which is mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, but we've really lost some of uh, the arts and humanities when it comes to what we put our priorities on um, in, uh, you know, in, in, in funding for, for curriculum. And so what we want to do is find, and we've, we've begun to do this, and it's been really cool to watch it kind of unfold, is really easy ways that teachers and districts can bake in these, uh, these what they're called you know, 21st, century cool, uh, 21st century skills or uh, soft skills, um, collaboration, creativity, empathy, conflict resolution, stuff that uh, human beings are going to desperately need to understand how to do as the marketplace becomes more and more automated. So we're really excited about it, and um, we've got uh, we just shot the pilot that's up on ringbeller.com. Um, we're doing a some fundraising campaigns, and uh, we are are launching in January 2019, and are piloting our first fourth grade curriculum in um, March 2019. So mm. we're we're really excited. That's really cool. So um, these kids will get to see the videos and and have. Um companion curriculum that will teach them just sort of how to be better humans using their own unique sacred weirdness. Yeah. It's funny. It's, you know, we've got so many problems in our education system right now when it comes to bullying, which I mean, you know, lots of bullying, you can actually, it it seems like a really soft term for the word assault. Um, so you've got assault, you've got, um, self-harm, you have, uh, violence sometimes um you know uh, up until the point of gun violence and mm-hmm. i am by no means saying that my little you know <laughs> my little nonprofit organization is going to fix all of those things and i honestly mm-hmm. think it, it's going to take a number of of policies and things to really fix all that stuff what i am saying is that there's interesting that not a lot of people i know are drawing a correlation to the fact that 80% of our schools have removed the arts and humanities from their curriculum. The thing that since the dawn of time, Aristotle, Plato, all the educators, you know, of our, of our world have, you know, the arts and humanities are, 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 are the discipline that help human beings put into context how they feel, Mm. express themselves in healthy ways. Is it any wonder that when you remove the disciplines that help kids express themselves, the things that they feel really deeply in healthy ways that all of a sudden we start seeing them express themselves in ways that are detrimental to themselves, mm-hmm. detrimental to their, mm-hmm. I think there might be a little bit of a correlation. So again, we're trying to go back and through the use of technology and through the research that we've done, give teachers and districts really tools to start baking that stuff back into their classrooms in ways that um, are, is relatively uh, affordable and competitive in pricing. And then also um, just from a time perspective, you know, you can bake these lessons into uh, your homeroom or um, your morning meetings. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. stuff that in many ways is sort of done for you as a teacher. You're, you're spending, you're not spending a whole lot of time prepping, uh, but you're, you're definitely set up to win as a facilitator of these conversations. Mm. 
you're right. It's without the humanities, we become dehumanized. And um, I, I think with my daughter's um, schooling, they introduced something called guidance into middle school, which sounds like something like you prepare for college or something like that, like guidance counselor. But it's actually was more related to somewhat related to character and and all the other things that a, a kid needs to know when they grow up, including like there was sex ed and stuff in there, too. But um, but it was sort of a catch all. And the right. school, <laughs> yeah, the schools are are, you know, having to be parents, too. But they're, the, the job is done terribly because I know at my daughter's school, and maybe this is true around for schools around you, um, what happens is because of liability and, and lawsuits, for, for an altercation, and, and I mean this in the, in the most minor term, like pushing or saying, um, I'm going to kill you, like some kids might say yeah. or throw a book, the police are immediately called and kids are handcuffed in, in the office. Yeah. And you know what's not done is they get the kids in the room and they say, why did you say that? What should you say? No conflict resolution at all. They are not learn, learning any skills. They just get a citation written up by the police the, yeah. the police report happens and it's just like well wouldn't yeah. those skills if this is school wouldn't those skills be useful uh outside of school or maybe when you grow up or should the police always be called when you say right. a hateful thing or um you know an anti-social thing should should this be part of education and i guess it's just mind-numbing to me that this isn't as important as math and English and science and like, sh should we just learn that and then just have the kids gun each other down? I mean, it just to me yeah. is, um, it's absurd that this is how it's handled now because the school doesn't um, want anyone to say anything hostile and then get, you know, okay, we better, we can't break this up and have them talk. We better call the police. But it's, it's interesting. Your, your program and your ideas are coming in, um, Right on time. I mean, really too late, but hopefully for like yeah. maybe the next generation of kids. We've separated character development from creativity. And really what I'm trying to say is that the two are linked. And while character development is something that from a political standpoint and a cultural standpoint, we can debate all day long who should teach that. Should it be the teacher? Should it be the police? Should it be the parents? Can we all agree that there's this thing called the arts and humanities that 80% of our schools have removed that are designed to help people express themselves in healthy ways? And if those go away, and if we don't teach that part of the holistic educational process that used to be if we take those away, should we be surprised that kids don't have the tools they need to figure out how to make their feelings either dissipate or at least contextualize their feelings in a way uh, that's a lot healthier than assaulting somebody or assaulting themselves? That's where we're, we're going with that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Tell my listeners where are some of the places they can find you if they want to reach out or learn more. Of course, um, get your book and uh, find out more about what you're up to. Yeah, you can um, you can get the book on Amazon or uh, wherever books are sold. Um, they're in a, a good amount of Barnes and Noble. And if you 
are not, if you're not an Amazon person and they're not at your Barnes and Noble, just ask them to order it for you and they will. You can um, go to, to find out more about Ringbeller, go to ringbeller.com. So it's R-I-N-G-B-E-L-L-E-R.com. It's kind of like bell ringer, but it's Ringbeller. It's a term that uh, Raul Dahl used in the BFG to describe a really great dream that kids have. So um, you can get the book at either getweirdbook.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Target, um, or you can go to ringbeller.com and uh, learn how to support what we're up to in schools. That's awesome. Uh, well, do you have any final words before we head out? Anything, any ask or uh, last nugget of wisdom? You know, the, the only thing I can think of is, you know, the, the words of, of St. Kermit the Frog, which is keep believing, keep pretending. All right. Well, thank you so much, CJ. I hope maybe you could come on again and give us an update on how things are going. I'd I'd love to keep up with what you're doing. Well, I'd love that. And thanks for just recording and uh, documenting, you know, folks who are kind of living outside of of the giant hairball and and seeing the sacredness of of everything around us. That's that's important work you're doing. So glad to call you a comrade in in the journey. If you've listened to the show and you've thought, wow, I wish I could find out a little bit more about someone mentioned or a book or a website, that's what show notes are for. Just go to patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. Patreon is like patron with an E. Patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening.